0: I've been really tempted to spice up this section a little bit and get you to do high fives with each other or fist bumps or something like that so you might need to be prepared for that for the future just so that you know we're getting a bit more cooler a bit more cool as a congregation Um, you'll see from the screen that we're going to be carrying on in our series of life worth living looking at the Philippians Paul's letter to the Philippians church and today we're looking at the title of new direction And actually, when I was first given this title, it kept on reminding me of a conversation that I had with somebody recently. And I was really hoping this person was here, but Gordon isn't here today, is he? I think he might be on holiday somewhere, but where is he? Oh, there's a football tournament today, of course, so he's got more important things to do. Um, well, you'll be able to tell him all about this, because I think he would have loved this. So, a couple weekends ago, we had Alwanda and Nata, and at the end, I gave um, a couple people lift home, and Gordon was one of them. And I thought, oh, well, I'll ask Gordon if he would like to choose a song that I can play on the car. And um, well, he chose One Direction to, to play. Well, that was probably the first time that I've ever had One Direction playing within my car. But it just kept on reminding me of that time with Gordon when I was given this new direction, because actually it is a new direction that we are heading in as a church it's a quite often a new direction that we're looking at when we're looking at the early churches and they're experiencing all of this great change which must have been so exciting but actually it was also one direction because God is leading them relentlessly in the direction that he has planned for them and I want us to hold that thought as we just continue through this message today because in some respects i think that's what paul was concerned about Is he was concerned that the church his friends at philippi were not only heading in a new direction but they were also heading in the one direction in the right direction that god was calling them on So you might want to open your Bibles because I'm actually going to be looking quite a lot at the passages. and You might find it helpful to follow along. So this is at Philippians chapter 2 and verses 12. And verse 12 begins with therefore. And the word therefore normally means that to understand where we are now, you need to look back at what's come previously and in order to understand where Paul was starting then we can actually go right back to the beginning of the chapter in chapter 2 verse 1 where it says if then there is any encouragement in Christ any consolation from love any sharing in the spirit any compassion and sympathy make my joy complete and then it says, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then skip in to the beginning of our verse for today. So this is in verse 12, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his pleasure. I love this idea that we have here this, this image that Paul's trying to put into the minds of those at Philippi it's capturing this sense of the Philippians which also talks to us today of trying to work out what it is that God is working within them We can often make the mistake when we're reading a letter like the Philippians to read it from an individual perspective, because the language can sometimes sound like it's speaking to us individually, whereas actually we'll see that Paul is speaking to the whole church. And in this, he's talking about each and every person within the church seeking to move forward in the same mind as they work out what God is working within them as a community. In this sense, Paul talks about this idea of being obedient, of being obedient to God's will in our lives, not just individually, but also how we can be obedient to God's will as a community, how we can be obedient as a church. And it actually says something here which in first reading, can seem a bit, oh, it says we are to do this with fear and trembling. I wonder what exactly that conjures up in your mind when you read verses like that. Is this suggesting that as we're being obedient to God, we should do it out of some sort of like heightened state of anxiety and nervousness? always afraid what might happen to us if we don't follow the instructions which God has intended for us I mean in many respects that could be the way that we would interpret things like that we do see that when we look through the Old Testament as God's people working out their relationship with God and in their awe there is sometimes this deep sense of fear however I actually noticed when Kat was reading from Zephaniah that it said that God will steal our fears with his love. And if we look at the root word of this sense of fear, then we actually realize that the feeling of it is more something out of reverence. It's a feeling of humility or respect. It is recognizing the full weight of the responsibility and the privilege that we have to be doing Christ's work within the world around us. And then this sense of trembling. This isn't trembling in fear in a corner, so scared that we don't know what we can do to move forward. It's more a trembling of dependence. A shaking of recognising our weakness as we try to do these things within God's strength. It is a state of dependence on God, and using Paul's terminology, you'll see a bit later in that passage, in the race that he set out for us. Now, interestingly, it was only about an hour ago that my father-in-law, who's 71, has just finished the Ultra Trail Snowdonia race, This was a race which was 60 miles long, and he covered 6,000 meters of elevation. Um, Now, I did the race, but the shorter version a couple of years ago, which was 30 miles long, and that was only 3,000 meters of elevation. So, and that was hard enough to think of how difficult it would have been to do a race like that. He finished in 29 hours of relentless moving, of running over technical terrain. If you know the area, you've got places like the Goch route, which is going up Snowdonia, which is a graded scramble. You don't want to slip because you could hurt yourself. It's going up steep climbs, and then when you're running downhill, you think, oh, that's time to have a rest. But actually, that's when you start pounding your thighs most, which then makes you jelly-legged when you come up to climb up the next climb. Now, having dabbled in that somewhat myself, the only way that you can actually get through a race like that is through your training. And as you're training, you have to get a deep sense of an understanding of what you're preparing yourself for. What are the different trials that you're going to be facing on your route? And sometimes that can actually be scary, Because you can be thinking, I've got a race in two weeks' time, for example. I'm just doing my final training session, and I've got a niggle in my leg. Will I be able to make it? Or maybe you haven't been training as hard as you would like. Maybe you have a sense of, have I been training hard enough to actually make this distance that I'm preparing for? when you set yourself on a goal like that, you commit yourself to it. And in committing yourself into that, you have to take it seriously. There's something important about this training and preparation, which sets apart the people who are able to achieve something like that, even at the age of 71. He did win. He was first for his age category, and he's probably going to be first for a few age categories below that. It's quite remarkable. Isn't it? And here Paul is talking about this to the Philippians, this sense that they're heading in this new direction. And you need to be prepared, you need to be training within the right way. Now, this relates to ourselves, especially during times like today. When we are thinking about as a community, what direction it is that God's is sending us into. And because of that, we also need to be careful to be aware of the signs which are going to make it hard for us to reach the goal that God has actually intended for us. And Paul also speaks about this with the Philippians as he's recognizing that maybe there are some areas that through a little nudge from him that he could help them move over and continue to work towards the goal that God had intended for them. And I've sort of like grouped these into two warning signs. And the first one is disunity. And the second one is a warning sign of stumbling. Paul says in verse 15, he's capturing this idea of you need to do things in unity together because you are a light to the nations. Because everything that you are doing is speaking towards the gospel message that Jesus has asked us to proclaim. That it's only when we do things in unity that we are able to really demonstrate and capture the fullness of that gospel message. But Paul's talking of some kind of murmuring, some grumbling, some disgruntled people within the church who are arguing with each other. Within this, you get the sense of a sign of people that maybe aren't as unified as they should be as they're heading in this new direction. Maybe they're not seeking the same goal, or maybe they're not looking at it from this same perspective. And then Paul reminds them that you are all children of God. That being called together as children of God, that you have a responsibility to support each other, to come alongside each other, to maybe put aside some of the things which are nagging us in order to go forward together, seeking God's will for us as a congregation. It's about coming together as children to be bringing everyone along with the vision of that community to ensure that nobody is left behind. Paul is ultimately saying we need to do everything necessary to ensure our unity because it's only in our unity that we can work out what God is working within us. And then he talks about what I've called this sense of stumbling. He says at the beginning of chapter three, beware in the translation that I've been using, beware, beware. And I think he's saying beware of tripping over ourselves. He talks about his own accomplishments as great as they are but then says that these accomplishments are like garbage. If I put my trust in these alone and I don't put them into Christ because these accomplishments only become liabilities. However, if you put your trust in Christ, then we see through Paul that these accomplishments then are able to be used to serve God's will. It reminds me of Jesus's famous saying in Matthew 16, where he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, then you will save it. This passage here really captures this sense of being devoted fully to following Jesus. Now, when I read this particular passage, I I don't think this is actually saying that we should be giving up these other things in our life. I think it's saying that if we put other things in our lives ahead of God, then we won't actually get as much out of them. It's only by aligning ourselves with God, with Jesus, that we can fully appreciate everything that we've got and love in God's love. And I think when I think about this passage and I think about what Paul was writing to Philippians, you know, sometimes we have to realize that we're not experiencing exactly the same issues as what they were at the time. That I think it's okay to think about what issues they were dealing with and well, what might be the sort of issues which Paul would be writing a letter to us today over. And I think one of them, and certainly relates to myself, is that we're living in a culture where we're becoming more and more indifferent to things around us. Our culture's a lot more self-serving. And it's really hard to not be affected by that culture and then to see that begin to infiltrate within our church life as well, where culture is very much driving this message of me first. Now I've been quite enjoying recently listening to a comedian who I just came across, and I don't know if anyone's heard of him before. His name's Nate Bargatze. A few people seem to have nodded, and what I actually like about him is that he's got clean humour, and it's also very relatable. And there was one that I was listening to just recently that he was doing it that I couldn't help but be in stitches but thinking, oh my goodness, he's speaking about me. And what he was describing is the typical day in the life of a parent. So he was out doing whatever it was during the day and he'd had a call on his phone. And when he answered the phone, it was his daughter's school. And they said, oh, hi, Mr. Bargatze. This is your daughter's school and was wondering if you know what number bus your daughter is meant to be going on. And he was saying that going through his head was, First of all, how do they have my number? Um, Surely they've got my wife's number, not mine. And then he was then thinking, but they've definitely got my wife's number. So if they've got two numbers, why would they choose to ring me over my wife? Surely they know if they ring the husband, they're not going to be getting any sort of information, which is any use whatsoever. So then he's then thinking, gosh, what am I going to do about this? I don't want to make it sound like I, you know, I don't know what to do within this situation. So he thought, I'm going to be a really good father and I'm going to speak back and be like, all right, I'm going to sort this out, I'm going to be a grown-up. So he says to the, um, the school teacher, he says, it's okay, I can, I can deal with this. I'll sort it out, I'll come and I'll get her, that's okay, Um, but can you tell me what school she goes to?" (laughs) So, and the irony is, is that as I was chucking away at that and I was telling Rachel about this story later, Rachel then turned around and she actually said, oh, well, Isla this morning was complaining because when I took her to school that morning, she was asking what they were having for lunch, and um, so we have a little dinner rotor from the school and so I'd gone to the dinner rotor and thought I did really well first of all knowing where it was and then identifying what the lunch is so I told her it was baked beans on toast well apparently it wasn't baked beans on toast because the rotor has some free column system that you have to work out what week it is of the term to work out what rotation they're on or something like that. And and there was definitely something relatable there that Rachel, um, Isla was really disappointed because she would have had a packed lunch because she didn't actually like the lunch that they actually had that day. And I, I think there's, there is something relatable there isn't there about this, this idea of being so caught up in what we're doing that sometimes we, we fail to be fully on top of the important things. And I think we do need to be careful for us today that that isn't something which trickles into our life with God as well. Individually, in our personal journey with God, in how we're devoting our time to him, how we're separated and blocking out times to spend with him, but also in our church life as well. How we're managing our time to be able to support what's happening within the church? How are we using all of these amazing gifts that we've been given? Like what Paul had reeled off in terms of all these amazing things which God has given him, which were a waste when he wasn't using them in God's service. How are we using these gifts as we're serving God in the direction that he's calling us in? Paul had said at the beginning in Philippians 1 that for him living means living for Christ that if he lives for Christ and he frames everything within that then he will get that sense of fullness in the direction that he's heading in in putting his gifts to the place where they can be the most used and have the most benefit And he reminds us that why this is so important, why it's so important that we need to ensure that we put our houses in order is so that God's will for us, for Christ's church can be fulfilled. And that within this, we are always seeking unity within his will. Because we see from Paul that anything else undermines God's will for our community. When there's disunity, when there's arguing, where there's mumbling, that isn't doing anything good for the life of Christ's church. That is undermining it. It is sending out a message of disunity. It is not being a light to the nations it's been something far from it. When we become so preoccupied in ourselves and we think we don't have time for Christ, then we're also not following God's will within our lives. We're not pursuing what it is that he's called us to do. And Paul uses this really raw sort of like term, which is meant to make us react when he says, "Not, don't be like this crooked and perverse generation. And we can see within that, that Paul is actually capturing the sense of the language of God's people as they were dealing with Israel, or as Israel was dealing with God and how it's a very tumultuous relationship how it was a relationship that when they strayed away from the will of god they also swayed into areas which weren't good for them and this sentence of crooked and perverse it definitely seems to be referring to a passage in deuteronomy in deuteronomy chapter 32. And it's one which is quite well known because you might remember it from a song that we quite often sing. And it starts in verse one by saying, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop like the rain. May my speech condense like the dew, like gentle rain on grass, like showers on new growth. Isn't that a lovely image of God's word speaking like a gentle rain? Of feeding the grass as it begins to grow. And he says, for I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our rock. The rock, his work is perfect. Do you know which song we're capturing now? And all his ways are just a faithful God without deceit, just and upright is he. But then it says, yet his degenerate children have dealt falsely with him, a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, O foolish and senseless people? So here's God, our rock. And yet time and again, people have a tendency to not put their trust in that rock to not align their will with the lock to allow that gentle rain to create new growth but isn't that what we want don't we want to get a sense of what God's vision is for us as a community well to do that we need to align ourselves with Christ to really seek together To understand, to discern what it is that God is working within us. And we can only do that as a community, because it's as a community that God is actually speaking to us, unfolding his plans for us. I think a a good passage as we think about this good work that God has for us that is worth mentally failing away is this passage which which Paul says in verse in chapter one and verse six I'm way back with my slides there it's a bit further along actually there Scott this is Philippians chapter one verse six where it says I'm confident of this that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. So I'm confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Then in our passage today, it says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That is what we're called together to do. This is the new direction that God is leading us on. When I think back to Gordon's conversation in the car and he asked me to listen to One Direction, this is the the real One Direction that God is calling us on. There is only one direction that he's calling us in. And this should be exciting Paul says this in chapter three, verse one, where he says, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. We know when we are heading in the right direction because we'll have that deep sense of joy, that joy at all of these possibilities, that joy at all of these amazing relationships that we're forming as we're moving together as Christ Church that joy at all of the different ways that we're able to serve within Jesus's name rather than disunity rather than a sense a deep sense of not being happy rather than tripping over ourselves Paul is encouraging the Philippians is encouraging us today to fill ourselves with that deep sense of joy when we're aligning ourselves with God's vision. Because he says, I'm confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. So let us just pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for Paul's letter to the Philippi church we thank you for the relationship that he has with them that he looks on them so affectionately and yet he's concerned for them he's given them a nudge that they won't lose sight of the direction that god is leading them in and we pray that today that we'll learn from this that as we gather together when god is doing something new within his church that we will always be seeking to gather together in unity to work out together what it is that god is working within us we pray lord that we will take the time to reflect on all that god is doing amongst us and that we will be filled with his joy within them. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.